0: Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad.
1: That joy over a child is what the Father feels for us. Look, church, the good news is God does not just tolerate us. He loves us as a father rejoices over his children. Right? That is the good news of Ephesians 2. But also, that has implications for the way we relate to one another. When we gain a father, we also gain a family.
0: Just about everyone can relate to some dysfunction in their family, right? There are different personalities that are forced to come together and somehow get along. But then there's inevitably some kind of family drama because there's no way everyone gets along without any conflict. So how does this fit in the context of a church family? Today, Pastor Ricky explores the various facets of what it means to have community with other people in a way that proves you're in it together for God's purposes. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, as he begins his message, Family.
1: We are in a series right now on our vision as a church and specifically on three core identities for us as a church. So, we talked about our identity as disciples of Jesus and how we uh, become disciples of Jesus and what it looks like to follow Jesus in every area of life. and. That message is kind of foundational and key to what it means to be a Christian. But today, we're looking at a second aspect, a second identity, as it were, of our church and that is our identity as family. Now these two things are tied together in a way that we often try to separate. Our identity as disciples is not separate from our identity as a family. It's not as though uh, you can check the box for, yes, I'd like to be a disciple of God, but not check the box of, yes, I'd like to be part of the family of God. Although sometimes we wish it worked that way. To be a disciple of Jesus doesn't just mean that we follow Jesus, although it means that. It means that we follow Jesus with other disciples of Jesus. In other words, when Jesus comes and calls Peter, who's fishing, to follow him, he doesn't call Peter into a strictly one-on-one personal relationship with him, though he does have a personal relationship with Jesus. He calls him into a relationship with all of those who are his followers, And that's what we're seeing. Our identity as disciples of Jesus requires our identity as a family. Now, there are many word pictures to sum up our relationships to one another as disciples of Jesus, but we're honing in on this word family because I think it's especially poignant and kind of pops in our culture, the culture around us. And we are gonna read just one verse to kind of set the stage, and then we're gonna walk through a little bit longer section of text together. So we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter two. If you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter two. And we're gonna read the whole thing in just a moment, but I'm gonna read one verse right now. Ephesians two, verse 19, simply says this to the believers. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Well, I have a confession up front, which is that I don't like this identity that we have as a church. I'm okay with, I like being a disciple of Jesus. I like kind of being a witness for Jesus. I don't always love being a family member of Jesus' family. And that's because I'm a little bit of an introvert and I like to have my personal space, and I like to have my own schedule, and I don't like when I look at my calendar, and it is filled with getting together with people. I feel constricted. You know, I don't like drop-in visits. Um, When somebody rings the doorbell and says, hey, we're in the neighborhood, like, oh, we're sick, sorry, you know, we are... We have, the, we have a, a rare flu. It's Peruvian flu, and we can't open the door. Now, in my flesh, that's the way I would normally want to respond. And so if you're there today, I'm with you in process with God's word on this. But I want to point out something about all of us. No matter how introverted you are, there is a longing in your heart for community, for connection, for belonging, for family. This week, I looked up the top three streaming shows on all of streaming on Netflix, Amazon, all that stuff. What are the three shows most streamed in America? And they are Friends, The Office, and Seinfeld. But what do these three shows have in common? They have in common that all three of them are about funny, dysfunctional versions of family, right? There is a desire, if you've seen one of these shows, that you have to like hang out with the friends or hang out in the office or hang out and watch George Costanza do bizarre things. And, and there's a sense in which you, you park yourself in front of your TV or your phone and you watch it and you feel like for a minute you belong with your friends. Like that is in our hearts. So why is it there? Question one, why do we long for family? Two reasons. First, we long for family because God has created that longing in us. When the Lord says that he's gonna create man, it says this, literally in Genesis, let us make man in our image. Meaning that God is, it's a conversation among the Trinity. God is one God in three persons. But that conversation is saying, we're gonna out of who we are as God, create humanity. And part of that image of God in humanity includes a community component because God is a community. And so when we see him create humanity, he tells Adam, who is by himself, he tells Adam, it is not good for you to be alone. Now, we often apply that to marriage and that's good. It is about marriage, but it's about more than marriage. It's also about community and belonging. It's, it's not good to have one single human being because one single human being by his or herself cannot image God fully the way that God is designed. That's why we long for that. Second, though, we long for this family because sin has broken the family of humanity. When sin comes, it immediately disrupts the vertical relationship between Adam and Eve and God and the relationship between Adam and Eve and each other. Both of them are broken. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve are hiding from God where they had enjoyed relationship with God. And then all of a sudden, Adam is blaming his wife and his wife is going, what in the world? You just sang a song to me in the previous chapter about how I'm bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh and here at last, all this stuff. And now you're like trying to throw me under the bus. All of a sudden their relationship is broken and then their kids, one of them kills the other out of jealousy and Genesis continues this pattern of conflict in humanity that that we simultaneously long for this sense of community and family and belonging but we are constantly disappointed because of the brokenness that sin has wrecked in our world. So question number two, how do we become a renewed family? In our vision, we talk about how we long for gospel renewal. And so gospel renewal comes to this concept of family. Now, Ephesians 2, which we're going to read, ties together, listen for this as we read, ties together our vertical reconciliation to God with our horizontal reconciliation with one another. Look at how they're tied together here. Ephesians 2 verse 11, therefore... In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So how how is a renewed family created? Well, it's created through the work of Jesus. And so I wanna make some observations about this that have implications on our lives. First, we are reconciled to God and to one another. God does something amazing according to Ephesians 2. He reconciles us to God. Right, that in and of itself is incredible. Jesus Christ dies in our place for our sins so that we would not be condemned and pushed away from God forever, but rather pulled in. And not just pulled in, but having our sins washed away by the blood of the cross and then further being reconciled to God. In other words, we don't just appear in the courtroom and unexpectedly get a verdict of not guilty, The judge himself takes off his robes, comes down, and embraces us, right? That's the picture of Ephesians chapter 2. But that reconciliation with God extends to one another. The purpose of Christ's redemption is to make one new man in place of the two, so making peace so we are we are not meant as disparate groups of humanity to stay separate but rather to be brought together into Christ into this one new man this renewed humanity that Christ is creating christ reconciles us verse 16 says both to god in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility we were brought near to God, but when we are brought near to God, we're brought near to one another. And that is what the Lord has done, right? He's reconciled us to God and to one another, pulling us together. Next, we are adopted by God. Now it takes the picture further. So then verse 19 says, you are members of the household of God, meaning the family of God. Galatians 4 gets even more explicit when it says that Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Right? It is incredible. Just think about the way that the gospel builds on itself. It's always better news than you think it is. Not only are we not condemned, not only are we justified before God, not only are we reconciled before God, it goes further. The judge doesn't just embrace us. The judge adopts us. He brings us permanently and fully into his family. You know, this week we had a couple from our community group that went overseas to China and adopted a little guy. And our community group was rejoicing with them. We prayed over them before they went. And when we got the first picture of them with this little dude and saw the joy on these two parents' faces, it was like, that is what we're talking about in Ephesians 2 and Galatians 4. right? That that joy over a child is what the father feels for us. Look, church, the good news is God does not just tolerate us. He loves us as a father rejoices over his children. Right? That is the good news of Ephesians 2. But also, that has implications for the way we relate to one another. Right? When we gain a father, we also gain a family. Our family is all of those who call God their father. That's why one of the most common ways that believers are referred to in the New Testament is as the brothers. And then in Greek, it's actually brothers and sisters because Greek is similar to Spanish in that like the male plural is male and female, like amigos or whatever. You know, you know what I'm saying? So everybody speaks Spanish, you guys are like way ahead of all the Americans in Greek or English speakers only in Greek. You're going to do well. We are the brothers and sisters. That's how the New Testament refers to one another. Because, why? Because we have the same father. Now, my sister was adopted. She was adopted at age nine. I think I was probably 13 at the time. And I remember my parents coming back um, from Russia with this little girl. And when she walked in the doors of our house, she was not just my parents' child. She was my sister. She is my sister, and I love her. Right? That is what happens with us. Now, that should be good news. Although the introvert in me is like, oh no, why do we have to have his family too? I just like God as my father. I don't like the other people. Nope, that's the way it works. You're brought into the family. He is your father, and these are your brothers and sisters. Third, we have then a purpose in Christ, and that purpose is together. The metaphor changes in verse 20, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we are not saved to stand still. We are saved for a purpose. God is building something with us, right? We have a glorious purpose in Christ, but that purpose is not just individual, That purpose is together. Now, the Bible affirms both that the Lord has a purpose and plan for us individually. Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? The Lord has written, before I live them, every one of them, the days of my life. That's true. The Lord has a purpose for you, amen. But the Lord also has a purpose for all of his people together. Their purpose as individuals can't be separated from their purpose as part of the renewed family of God. Now, when I was a kid, I wasn't... Allowed, I had a very brutal childhood. It was hard, and here's how it was brutal. I wasn't allowed to watch the Ninja Turtles or uh, really anything with violence and or magic and or anything else uh, exciting or fun or anything a, an eight-year-old boy would want. Instead, I got Salty the Singing Songbook. Um, now, Salty, if you are familiar with Salty, it's probably traumatizing for me to just bring him up. But if you're not familiar with Salty, he's a giant blue hymnal of some kind that sings and is supposed to like inform kids about who the Lord is and lead them in songs. Now, the most terrifying version of Salty is definitely like the stage version because they get an actual guy to paint his face, beard, and hair blue and stick him out of like a cardboard book box and his arms are like extending out of the thing. It is terrifying and he's singing, and so every one of the songs is burned into my mind. And one of the songs from Salty, I say all that in order to get here. Uh, one of the songs from Salty was, God has a plan for my life. And remember all the kids, like, stomping around the stage, and they're all saying, God has a plan for my life, or however the tune went. Calling them tunes was generous, and so there's, there's just, there's, it's just, Yeah. But that was the song. I remember, God has a plan for my life. I looked it up. It's still out there on YouTube floating around. God has a plan for my life. Now, is that true? That a bunch of kids can march around on the stage and saying God has a plan for my life, right? True. The Bible says true. Psalm 139, true. However, I think saying God has a plan for my life is true, but saying God has a plan for our life is truer. Meaning, that the plan that God has for us can't be separated for the plan that God has for us as a group, as a body. And so Salty got it half right, as he did with most things. And and yet the point is this, we have a purpose individually, right? The Lord has a plan for your life, church. I want you to hear that, amen. You have a purpose and plan, and yet that purpose and plan can't be separated out from his purpose for all of us. All right, last, this is important, but... Not gonna spend a lot of time here. We are empowered by God's presence and empowered together. Verse 22 reminds us, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, right? The same Spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father, the same Spirit that facilitates our relationship with God the Father also facilitates our relationship with one another in being built together for the purpose of God. So you can't say, oh, I love the Spirit. I want the Spirit in my life. Well, if the Spirit comes into your life, you know what happens? You start getting connected to other people because that's part of the purpose of the Spirit. Now, this week, and maybe I can sum this up this way. This week, I was reading an article that I probably a few years ago would never have read on the insane fandom of the Buffalo Bills. Now, why was I reading that as a Cowboys fan? Because all I know about the, the Bills going in as a Cowboys fan is we beat them several times in the 90s, and it was hilarious because they kept losing. I read this article, and I thought, this is so good. It actually, is a little bit of a metaphor for the church in a way. The Buffalo Bills have all these, first of all, their fans are called the Bills Mafia which I don't totally understand, it sounds shady. It probably is shady, but that's what they call themselves. I read this article because they have all these pregame rituals and there's a comment here I want you to get. So the ringer says this. This fan did his best to explain to me how this disparate group of individuals fits together. He admitted Bill's Mafia is an odd collection of humans. Then demanded I take a bite of his half-eaten pulled pork sandwich, which he had just been handed by a man named Pizza Pete, who cooked the meat in an old oil pan from a 1989 Buick. Parentheses, it was good, and I have not yet contracted tetanus. (laughs) Continuing, look, he says, what families aren't strange? The Bills Mafia phenomenon has since grown well beyond his control. As Reed admits, if you love the team, you're part of it. I love that, right? Buffalo Bills fans are just like, yeah, if you love this team, you're part of the Bills Mafia. If you're open to liking the Bills, come on in and be part of the Bills Mafia. And that that spirit of if you love what we love, then we are together, I think is exactly what we're talking about in Ephesians 2. If you love Jesus, then you are part of this. If you love what he has done in your life, then you are part of what he is doing in the world today. How does this crazy group of people fit together from all kinds of backgrounds and races and political ideologies and and jobs all that stuff how do we fit together only because Jesus has come reconciled us to God adopted us into his family built us together and empowered us with his spirit and if you are part of that you are part of this you're part of the church All right, so what does it mean then to be family? Very briefly, I just wanna hit some quick points that fill out what it looks like to be part of the family. All right, third, what does it mean to be family? First point here, family means identity, right? To be part of the family of God means your very identity changes. The way you even see yourself changes. The word church in the New Testament is ekklesia, which means literally the assembly, the gathering. So to be part of the church by definition means to be part of this big group of people. In the New Testament, there are no Christians who are not part of churches. To be a Christian means to be united with Christ. And to be united with Christ means to be united to a church. In 1 Peter 2... Right? There is a list of identities and all of them are plural. Right, You are a holy people, you are a priesthood, you are um, a nation, all of those things are plural. And when he says, but you are, that in the Greek, it literally means y'all. But y'all are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. Family means identity. Second, family means love. John 13 says this, a new commandment I give to you, says Jesus that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because Jesus has loved us and not just loved us a little bit, loved us to the uttermost. And remember, love is not just a fuzzy feeling. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not saying, just as I have had fuzzy feelings toward you, you also are to have fuzzy feelings toward other people. Now, love means generous self-sacrifice for the sake of the other. Hope
0: in God, oh my soul, he is strong. Thanks for joining us today for Better News Radio. Pastor Ricky has been sharing some thoughts on the important components that should be a part of any church's vision. These things are like the meat and potatoes of what a church stands on, and incorporating these elements help a church grow and thrive. Like with anything that's growing, you need the proper nutrients to foster the ability to become stronger. Some of these nutrients are the willingness to know and share the gospel with others. This might seem intimidating to some, but be assured that no matter what your knowledge or experience is, as a Christian you are equipped to tell others about Jesus. If you're listening and are unsure what it means to be a Christian, that's okay. We're glad that you joined us today, and we hope that you'll continue to seek out a greater understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. On our website, betternewsradio.com, you'll find a variety of past teachings from Pastor Ricky. In addition to that, you can look at the welcome video from Pastor Ricky that explains more about the good news of Jesus Christ. All that and more is on our website. Again, that's betternewsradio.com. As we wrap up our time today, we want you to know that if you have any questions about this teaching or what it means to be a Christian, you can give us a call at 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. We hope that you'll tune in again to hear more from the Vision Series right here on Better News Radio.